Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. and welcome to Ranks FC. This is a very special episode and I'm extremely excited about it. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. Joining me as ever, it's the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, buddy. Hello, mate. And of course, our guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. Well, it's an incredible episode. Sam, we've, we've, you know, roped in one of the biggest names in broadcasting, one of the, the true icons, the behemoths of the scene. Yeah, absolutely. We've reeled in a big, big fish here. Using, have I ever told you how I went to Frankfurt to see <laughs> Frankfurt versus? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. No, no. yeah, 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 yeah. But on one of those trips, anyway, I had the pleasure of bumping into, meeting, and uh, befriending uh, Derek Ray, Bundesliga commentator, ESPN lead over in America, and the voice of FIFA. And well, he's been around the block, hasn't he? He's been commentating for for thirty or forty years, so you've probably heard him on all sorts of different mediums. But he lent us his time, you know, talk, to talk about the commentary game, the ins and outs of it, the preparation, the pronunciations, you know, everything about the video game that he's he's now become synonymous with. It's been it's been an incredible conversation that we're just so excited to share with the audience. Absolutely, and and in that regard, we normally do things we love here. We normally do Melon of the Week at the end. There's normally a gibberish. We're gonna put all of that slightly on ice uh, for the minute because it was such a wonderful conversation and such a brilliant interview that we wanted to just let you hear it in full. Um, But that does mean that Melon of the Week, Dean, is going to be put on hold slightly. Well, only for a couple of days. Yeah, a couple of days. I mean, I don't know if you've all seen our social um, pages um, right now, but over on Patreon, you can get a free month of content um you have nothing to pay up front you can go over to patreon you can sign up and you will get the episodes going forward until for the rest of march for completely for free and so we're going to put melon of the week onto friday's episode because there's really no reason why you shouldn't be listening to friday's episode now because it's going to cost you nothing you get a back catalog of 50 ranks episodes that most of you wouldn't have heard before that we've got 800 patrons over there and we absolutely love it and I think that more people will too. So I, we want more of you to come and, and have a listen and hopefully stick around for longer. But look, if you come for a month, you come for a month. But let's get more people involved because it's a good party we're having over there. Absolutely. Come and give us a go. And if, if it's not for you, we do is cancel that subscription on the uh, on the 31st of March or beforehand and, and you won't be charged a penny. So Don't do so it on the 31st over. though because that's my birthday and that will upset me. Oh. <laughs> You'll have to do it on the 30th or before. Um, but you yeah, know, <laughs> come, come and give it a go. The, the link's in the description below and uh, it, I promise you yeah, it's worth your time. We're having a load of fun over there. Yeah. Um, but without further ado, shall we get on to our conversation with the voice of this FIFA, Mr. Derek Ray. I am delighted and hugely honoured to welcome our next guest, Bundesliga broadcast Bayamoth Prince of Pronunciation and the voice of FIFA, a man who has no doubt soundtracked many of your evenings, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Derek Ray. Derek, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Jack. Hello, Sam. Hello, Dean. It's great to be with you all. That's quite the introduction. I, I guess I'll accept it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> How are you doing? You well? 
I'm well, thanks. Yeah, as you know, I live here in the USA, so I'm five hours behind you, but I'm an early riser, so I've been up with the birds already for a few hours doing my work and find that to be a good time of day to, to accomplish many things. So yeah, on we go, working from home as so many of us are. <laughs> I mean, Derek, how do you even get started in your world of work? Because I mean, for us, like, in journalism, you know, you go through the traditional methods, I guess, you, you become good at language, you like football, so you go and do a, a relevant uh, media degree or whatever it is, and then you just carry on the writing, really, and then go from there. I mean, what's it like for you? Did you have to go down that path, or did you just manage to get straight into the, the broadcast and commentary? I was very lucky. I started young, and when I say young, I began talking to myself into a tape recorder at the age of seven. And I still have oh, wow. the tapes to prove that. And I think I always wanted to be a commentator. I mean, you know, at seven, you don't expect that you, you're going to be a commentator. Even at 12 or 13, you don't. But it was something that I always did. It sort of was an accompaniment to my life generally. And I got into hospital radio at a young age. That's something that I think still exists in the UK, not in too many other countries. But it gave me a chance as a teenager to broadcast properly and to an audience. And it gave me a, a body of work. I used to broadcast the Aberdeen games. And Aberdeen at that time in 1982, 83, were arguably the best team in Europe. I know for the younger generation, you know, you'll sort of think about that and go, really? But it, it was true. I mean, Aberdeen won the Cup Winners' Cup at 83. They beat Hamburg in the Super Cup that same season, although it was a few months later. And I got to broadcast that Super Cup final as a teenager for hospital radio. So as you can see, I was sort of building this career without knowing I was actually building it. Now, I got very lucky, as I said, because uh, one day I had sent my tape to my hero, David Francie, who was the main voice of Scottish football in the 70s and into the 80s. And I'd actually been in touch with him at a young age, sending him some of my fledgling tapes. And he'd been very encouraging to me. And um, we'd stayed in touch. And on a whim, I was at university in Aberdeen. On a whim one day, I sent him another tape. It was a game I had actually done from Ibrox. I'd gone down to Glasgow to visit a friend. And I'd blagged my way into the press area at Ibrox, brought my tape recorder with me and recorded the game, Rangers against Hibs. And I sent it to him. But without telling me, he passed it on to his bosses at the BBC in Glasgow, BBC Scotland. And I got this letter from the head of sport there saying, I've got this tape in front of me. It really like, you know, what I hear. Could you come down to Glasgow sometime and have a chat? So I did. And um, to cut the long story very short, I got my chance on the air a few weeks later because my hero, David Francie, had picked up a knee injury. And so they needed a commentator at very short notice to do Kilmarnock against Dumbarton, which was actually the, the main commentary game on Radio Scotland on that Saturday. So I did it. I went down and, and did the game at Rugby Park, thought it went well. You know, as a young person, you sort of just throw yourself into something and don't necessarily analyze it too much. At least that was the way I was. Right. And then I got back home to Aberdeen and there was a message saying, could you call Charles Runcie at the BBC? So I called Charles Runcie at the BBC and the message was, well done today. We really liked what you did. Um, are you ready for the second assignment? And I said, oh, there's a second assignment? What's, what's the second assignment? He said, the second assignment is England against Scotland at Wembley this midweek. We would like you to be accommodated <laughs> for that game. So, so when I say I was fortunate, um, you know, I really was fortunate. And, uh, and I stayed at the BBC for five years before moving to the USA. And, and obviously, I've, I've broadcast for a number of entities here in the USA and back in the UK since. But I think what I'm really trying to say is that, yes, you do have to be fortunate. You have to be lucky. And I was. But you also have to be in a position 
and to make your own luck. And what I didn't really know was throughout those years of talking to myself as a, a young kid and then hospital radio and really taking that very seriously, I was actually giving myself a platform, you know, and, and I think that's the message I always try to convey to young people is create your own platform, you know, be your own person, be your own broadcaster, and you can do that for yourself. Don't wait for somebody else to give you that chance. Be a self-starter. Yeah, it reminds me of when I was seven or eight or nine, and I was commentating over my own FIFA games on the computer, you know. <laughs> very, it's a very similar story. And I, used to do it on, I used to do it on Football Manager. I used to like watch my own ga the game yeah. playing out and like, you know, dress up with a microphone and stuff like that. But, well, if you hey. think about it, and, and I remember this from the playground, I mean, all the other kids would do their sort of fledgling impersonations of commentators when they would score a goal, you yeah. know? And, you know, back when I was uh, a youngster, it was things like, George Best, 1-0, you know? And again, yeah. that's dating me a little bit. But, um, <laughs> you know, but I would take it to the nth degree. And, and I didn't want to just say that when I scored a goal in the playground. I wanted to actually study the art of it. And um, again, I was a bit strange. Uh, you know, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I've just got. This, I was a bit strange. I've just got this image of you of you swiping one home and go, and it's Ray from twenty yards. He shoots towards the corner. He scores. And if you were doing that, then uh, you have my utmost respect. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't do that because I, because I think it's true, isn't it? We all wanted to be somebody else when we did that. We didn't really want to do true, it. Well, yeah. at least I didn't. I was a bit bashful about about putting myself certainly in the same sentence as George Best. <laughs> oh, fair enough, fair enough. Well, I mean, that's that's enlightening to start with. And um, that we've chosen five major topics to discuss with you yeah. that, that surround the art of commentary. So good to get your way in before we get into the, the nitty gritty of, of what you do now. Um, and the five topics that we We've, we've decided to pick our preparation, pronunciation, FIFA, yep. cl cliches and mm -hmm. moments as well with kind of like yep. an all-time slant. Uh, so then after that, we've got some silly uh, and random bits, but our patrons have also chipped in with some and we've, we've fitted their best questions in where we can. But we'll start sure. with, with preparation. Yep. And the first most obvious question is, is, is about how much preparation you do. And we, we've seen the pictures, Derek, right? We've got, we've <laughs> yeah. got the receipts. We've yeah. all seen your handwritten notes your tiny little writing, so much information. And I need to know how long that takes and why you just don't do it on the laptop. <laughs> well, Digital. Yeah, well, I mean, I could do it on the laptop, but this really goes back to my early days as a commentator and also my time as a languages student. And um, there is something about writing something down. And I mean, writing something down rather than using a computer with regard to how it sticks in the memory. And there've been oh, yeah. studies about this. Uh, apparently most of us in this world have a photographic memory. In other words, if we write something down, there is a, a sort of a chip planted up here in our brains, um, reminding us when we wrote that down, where we wrote that down on a page. It may not apply to every aspect of life, but there is something there. And I know this from my, my German studies. I, I, I know that um, when I write, or when I did write something down as a, a young German student, I would sort of vaguely remember where I'd written it down and when I'd written it down and, and it would come back to me. So um, this is how I began preparing for games in the, the 1980s when I first properly got into to commentating. And the other thing too you have to remember is back then when we were commentating, we did not have a lot of space. So we were you know, at the back of the, the main stand with no elbow room at all. Think about that situation. You, know, you can't spread notes out over a big table. There was no big table. So it was everything on your, your 
knees in front of you. So um, I had to quickly figure out a way of putting it all on one page. And so that's what I did. So I've, I've kept these habits um, to this day. And yeah, I mean, I could do it on a laptop, but this works for me and it only has to work for me, remember. It doesn't have to work for anybody else. I don't do it for show or to, to give to somebody else. It would be a problem actually giving it to somebody else because there's no way in the world they'd be able to read what, <laughs> what I have on the, on the page because it's, it's so small, but it's, um, but it's color coded as well. And that helps too, so that you sort of understand where everything is. And, and that is the, the main purpose of the exercise. It's a bit like getting ready for an exam paper, knowing that your exam paper is on the Saturday and I have, you know, maybe five days to prepare for that exam. And it's not really about how it looks. It's about, you know, what can I impart from it when I need to during the game? And it may be that I need 1%. It may be I need 5% of what's on that sheet. It just depends on the game. The match will dictate that, but you have to do the 100% because you really don't know at what stage in the game you're going to need a little factoid. Uh, as I say, most of the time, you don't need these things at all. They are there as part of getting ready for the game. But you'd better have it for the time when it is 100% necessary. So, so that's really the way it goes. I think you will find, if you, if you spoke to other commentators, there is no uniform way that a commentator prepares uh, or commentators prepare for uh, games. We all have our own styles. And I notice that the younger commentators tend to do it more on laptops. That's understandable. I didn't grow up with a laptop, remember? I didn't have a computer until I was probably sort of 22, 23. You know, so yeah. my early years were all doing it this way. And I just find it, it's, it's the way that works for me. And that's what every commentator has got to decide for him or herself. So how yeah. long does that, that take, that preparation, to put that one of those sheets together? It varies, Sam. Uh, it depends really on the game. But um, for example, I'm, I'm doing Bayern Dortmund as we speak this week. And obviously, they are probably two teams who I know better than any other in the world. But still, you, you do the, um, the maximum preparation. Uh, it probably takes from start to finish. It's probably five, five or six days but not um, all at once, you know, so I, I knew I had that game several weeks ago. So I began scribbling as I do. And then it just, you know, fleshes out. And once you get to match day, it's sort of full, as I say, you know, on, on match by match day, it'll, it'll look, I'm, I'm showing it into the camera here. Yeah, and yeah. People listening can't, can't see that, but basically it'll be full come match day. And it's a little bit here and a bit there, a couple of hours here, then take a break two hours later. Yeah. Then maybe not do anything for a couple of days and then two more hours. So it's sort of cumulative and it really depends on the workload, how many games I have or other assignments I have. And you work from there. Obviously, that's the the kind of knowledge preparation in some ways. Derek, how does it change? And, and obviously, you've seen radio develop, you know, and, and commentary develop throughout your time. Is there any kind of rituals you have before you go on air? Is there a kind of vocal things or, or whatever those, you know, necessary adjustments might be that you get yourself prepared? Is there like a, you know, there is a obviously a ritual in terms yeah. of the the knowledge preparation and the sheet and the fact that it goes back to what you've you've always known but is is there one for for the actual kind of technicals of going on air as well yeah i'm a bit fastidious when it comes to that sort of thing i i definitely am somebody who wants to have my levels uh correct and you, you know what i'm talking about when i yeah. say levels that's kind of a, a broadcasting industry thing but but basically making sure i can hear myself i can hear my co-commentator i can hear my producer uh, I can hear the crowds at an acceptable level. I want it to be loud enough. Obviously, in times when we have crowds at the moment, that's not the case. But, um, you know, all these things have to be 
ship shape, so to speak. And, and that is something I am a bit of a, a stickler for. I like to go through my notes again, sort of in the hours right before the game and just refresh on a few things. Um, I also like to, and this is something that um, I think a lot of commentators do, once the players come out for their warm-ups, I kind of go into my little zone. And you know, by then, we'll know the teams, we'll know who's playing. I, I scribble down my team news so that I have that ready, so I know who's in, who's out, why somebody is out, You know, what's the reason. Was it an injury we knew about? Was it a new injury? Was it illness? Something like that. But um, I always keep a, a very close eye on the players as they're warming up because I want to know a couple of things. I want to know what boot colors are they wearing? And you'll go, okay. <laughs> is, this, is this about identifying them properly? This is about identifying, yeah, because that, that is one of the, the key facets of the job is, you know, can I identify them quickly? Can I identify them in a crowd? Say at a, a corner kick when five players are, you know, converging on the ball and you suspect you've got the right player. And, you know, sometimes you'll see one player emerge, but you might only see his boots, you know? And, you know, that's not a definitive way of... of being 100% sure who the player is. But, you know, if you have two players who are somewhat similar and, you know, one has yellow boots and the other has red boots, then that that helps greatly. So uh, I'm a big fan of doing that. And it's one thing I always do is I have my little sheet beside me and I just, you know, put red, yellow, blue, um, you know, uh, black and white speckled boots, even things like that, you know, just, just to kind of differentiate one from the other. And, um, if you talk to my co-commentators, they'll probably tell you I get a bit distant during that period. I, I'm not a good conversationalist in the sort of the, the 45 minutes before the game because I'm really looking at those players. I'm also looking at hairstyles, you know, because players sometimes will will totally change their hair, you know, will will shave their, their heads or or whatever, or dye their, their hair. Mm. And you don't want to be caught out by that when the game starts. And you might think it's a small thing, and you know, surely you, you would just pick that up as the game goes on but it's just as you said it's preparation and you want to make sure that uh, no stone is left unturned now nah, but your, your point like for example for Manchester City yeah. um, a couple of seasons ago when David Silva grew his hair back right and then you've got David Silva and Bernardo Silva same height both yeah. left-footed now they've both got brown hair about the same length <laughs> whereas before David Silva was bold for a year Yep. So really and, obvious. And you're having to deal with Zinchenko and De Bruyne. <laughs> it's, right. like a, no. it's like a double whammy everywhere at that point. Yeah, and the thing I would say about City is, and this is just um, an observation, and I think other commentators would say this as well, their numbers are not always the easiest. Mm. You know what I mean? From a distance, If you're at West Ham, which is the... the, the probably the, the 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 worst best and worst example of this you're miles away from the pitch you know yeah. so you do have to have these other little sort of fail safes um because the number isn't always going to work for you with with particular clubs particularly yeah. i thought i saw some complaints about west bromwich albion's numbers this year yeah. as well red Terrible. on a sort of dark blue white and you just you just can't see them yeah, I don't really understand why more has not been done on that. I know that uh, Ian Dark, who's one of my best friends in the commentary business, Ian and I talk about this all the time, you know, if, if we ever play golf, which we haven't done for a while because of the pandemic, living in different countries. But that's a subject that always comes up. And we, we just, we, we sort of, we're at a loss. We say, why isn't it just a rule that, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Sam, you know, Rashford and Grealish behind you there with the numbers, you know, crystal clear there. 
why isn't that just a, a, a rule? It's one thing when I, um, I dabbled in some NFL work um, a few years ago, actually even going back to last year for, for Amazon here in the USA. With Tommy Smith. A, no? With Tommy Smith, yeah. They yeah. wanted a UK Irish sounding feel to the NFL. And one thing I realized about the NFL is that their numbers are great because they're huge. You know, yeah. <laughs> and they don't have stripes in the way and they're not, uh, you know, the, 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 the vision is not impaired in any way. So I think it's something that if you're looking to sell, you know, the marketing side of football, if you're looking to sell your players to a wider public, I mean, it's surely only common sense that you want that number and that name to be visible. So I, I hope that the clubs going forward will think about that. And, you know, it just comes down to with stripes, having a little box, having a, a white box so that the number and the name are both very clear. That's just my point of view. Anyway. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'll tell you what, the, the closest I've ever come to, to commentating, when I was young, I worked for a company called Haters. Yes. Where haters were you? So many people have got their start at Haters. They have, it's yeah. amazing how many people I've spoken to who have done that. It's yeah. unbelievable, yeah. And that's, that, I was one of those. Um, um, and there was yeah. a guy there called Stuart Barnes who yeah. um, would basically, we had this contract for the, through the BBC and it was, I think it was mainly for FA Cup games, especially early rounds, to make the notes, make background notes and, and little yeah. bits, nuggets of information for the commentators. And so I would like have part of this job and you'd like look for little bits of info and then I'd watch the game and just listen for 90 minutes to see if the commentator would use my bit of information. Yeah. If he did, I was buzzing, you know. Of course. Um, We've got one of the questions from one of our patrons, Joel, who says, what is the most difficult part of preparing for a game between two teams you're not familiar with? I mean, do you have go-to sources? I mean, is it just a case of digging and digging? What do you do? Yeah, good question, Joel. Um, you, basically, you're starting with a, a blank sheet of paper. And so you do the basics. You know, the first thing I do, and this would happen to me a lot when I worked in the UK doing early rounds in the FA Cup. You know, you're doing sides who you're probably never going to see again and chances are you've not really studied before and the first thing I always do is I pull out um, how do they play you know this team plays this way it's, it's usually 4-3-3 three, three. okay he's there he's and you start memorizing names mm -hmm. and then you sort of add uh, a bit more you start looking at video and, and that's something that you can do now that you weren't able to do you know 20 years ago certainly 30 years ago it was impossible to do that you know so you were really flying blind now you actually can often find some footage it might be grainy footage but you can find something so so that's how i start i start with with the names memorizing the names then i look at the the the, the players themselves and then put faces to those names and then you just start sort of going through stories and, and i think to a large extent football commentary is is mostly identification that's the first and foremost thing that you have to do because, you know, if you're watching from home, you want to know who's on the ball, certainly when it's a significant moment. Beyond that is, um, you know, is, is, is extra detail that can be good. You, you don't overdo that, but you need to have all that information. So um, if, if it's two new teams, then you're looking for stories. And that could be stories from 100 years ago. That could be stories from yesterday. You know, so you're looking to basically be on top of what the story is at that particular club. Mm -hmm. And um, that can take a while, you know, and, and I find with teams that I don't know well, that can take several days, you know, of just sitting and reading and scribbling, reading and scribbling and noting it all down. And, and then, you know, come match day, you hopefully have it all 
in your head. But um, as I say, with teams like Bayern and Dortmund, for me, it's it's not so difficult because that's what I'm living every day, just as it would be for, you know, if somebody's in England and doing the, the Premier League every week, yeah. then it's less of a research challenge. But you've still got to be up to speed with what the current stories are. So it's... Um, it, it's a really enjoyable part of the job, but it's a solitary part of the job. I think maybe that's what people don't realize. I think sometimes people have visions of, of commentators sort of dining out with football people every day and, you know, having these great chats with managers. But a lot of the time, it's actually just sitting in your, your den or in your, your office. <laughs> Yeah, as I do, just sitting here scrub, uh, scribbling on your own and um, finding the uh, the good little nuggets of information that you, you may or may not use come match day. Yeah. One one more question here on preparation uh, before we move on to the next subject, but uh, it's from Jeremy. He asks, do you ever get nervous before commentating on a game? And I, I guess your first ever commentary, the obvious answer here is yes, but do you still get nervous? And is it tied to maybe the level of occasion? These are fabulous questions, by the way. Thanks for this one, Jeremy. Um, yeah, I still do get nervous. Well, is it nervous or is it just a case of the adrenaline is pumping? I think it's the latter. And I think it was always that way. I mean, when I think back to my first commentary, I don't remember being, you know, that nervous. I remember being sort of feeling on and up for it and really wanting to do the job. But I think um, with any live performance, there is that adrenaline rush that you get. And I certainly get it just as the, the countdown is on, the red light is about to come on, and you know, the producer's in my ear saying, okay, three, two, one, and cue Derek. You know? So when that happens, you, you, you sort of think, right, I'm on now. Funnily enough, once you're on, then I think the uh, adrenaline goes down a little bit because you're on and you're doing what you know you can do because you've been doing it for so long. But um, yeah, I, I think it would be described as a healthy thing to have this adrenaline. And, you know, you're talking to a lot of people, but in your mind, you're only talking to one person. And that's always been my way of calming myself down. If it is a sort of a pressure packed situation, I've always thought, you know, forget how many people are, are are actually watching or listening, just talk to one person. And it's usually one person who I know is watching, you know, and that could be my father, or it could be a good friend, or it could be somebody who I bumped into in the street, you know, the week before who said they were going to watch the game. It, it could be a different person. But um, I think that's how you do it. And uh, as I said, I, I think, you know, an element of of that is good. An element of, of the adrenaline rush is good. I mean, if you're so nervous that you, you know, would have to drop the mic and just couldn't do it, then, then obviously you wouldn't be suited for the, for the job. But, but it's a healthy balance, I think. I think that means you care, Derek, and that's the most important <laughs> bit. If you, do, if, you don't feel, if you don't feel anything, then you don't care enough is probably how I would describe it. 100% the case. I think caring uh, is a big part of it because, to be honest, if you don't care as a commentator, then how can you expect the viewer to care? I think that's it, isn't it? It's about kind of making your enthusiasm for something come through because that's yep. what people eventually buy into, right? And I mean, a nice little one there because it's something that it has been has always been linked with you for enthusiasm is, is correct pronunciation, Derek. Mm, and, yep. and actually, uh, I mean, I'll put it out there without going full fanboy. It's one sure. of the things that I absolutely love about listening to your commentary. It's always something that's that's really kind of resonated with me. It's something that I try and take into these podcasts. And these two will tell you that I have a, a penchant for for really trying to to get these names right on here and, and kind of drilling with it, but. A lot of the questions and a lot of the 
noise, I suppose, around this mm. comes from FIFA, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Sure. But but I guess what's your process when it comes to, to pronunciations? Because there are obviously incredible words. And, and honestly, the amount of time that Sam and I spent trying to learn how to say Gabriel Magalhães' name earlier in the year was, was was a bit silly, to be honest. And I was for a single podcast yeah. on, a, you know, as a one-off thing, <laughs> ringing up our friend in, in Brazil, yeah. being like, mate, how is this? And he's like, well, in Rio, it's this, but it could be different. Yeah. You're like, well, right. And this you know is we, did, Derek, we just call him Gabriel. <laughs> yeah, well, and, 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 and that is a solution to it. No, it, it is. Um, I, I think with pronunciation, and you've hit upon it, I, I mean, it is something that I am, you know, very uh, much a stickler for, and it goes back to my languages background. But I think that, um, you know, when it comes to how I prepare, I, I want it to be authentic. You know, I, for example, you know, Sam, uh, it, it, you have a name that, you know, I know how to pronounce your, your surname, but it could be pronounced differently by somebody in another country. I'm sure it probably has been. I'm sure you've been in another country. and It, it gets and, pronounced for all sorts of different ways in this country, Derek, let alone right. anything else. Okay, so, so there we go. But I mean, if somebody were to say it wrongly, you would correct them and say, no, actually, it's just for future reference. This is how I pronounce my, my surname. 100%. I happened on the yeah. phone yesterday with the insurance company. And it's no, it's, I, I say it's, it's Thai. And they go, oh, I'm so yeah. sorry. They go, it's okay, but you know now. So it's cool. That's right. Yeah, exactly. But I think what has happened, and, and if I can say this, I think this is something that is quite peculiar to the Anglo world. Um, I think there's, there's some feeling that has crept in in recent years that there's such a thing as an English pronunciation of a non-English name. And, and I've never bought into that because, you know, for the same reason that Sam's name is his name, somebody from Brazil's name is his name. And yeah, I, I know that there are maybe different pronunciations within the country. There could be a, a Carioca pronunciation in Rio. There could be a Paulista pronunciation in Sao Paulo. I know that. Um, but that doesn't give us the excuse to ignore um, the Rio pronunciation and the Sao Paulo pronunciation in favor of a totally different pronunciation that doesn't come from Brazil at all. If, if you know where I'm coming from. Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is that, that I think it's, it, it goes down to preparation. And um, yeah, it takes a lot of preparation to be on top of every name. And there are difficulties because a player comes into the Anglo world, the Anglosphere, if you like, and somebody somewhere decides, now this is too hard for us to pronounce or that's not going to sound good in the English language. So a sort of a compromise pronunciation is sought and sometimes adopted. And then... Um, you can find yourself in the position of, of saying the right pronunciation, the authentic pronunciation, and getting criticism for it. You know, so uh, I, to be honest with you, I, I let that slide. Uh, I, I try to correct people if, if they want to correct me, because it does happen, especially in social media nowadays. I hear from a lot of people saying, "You're saying the the names wrong." That the, the one that I get all the time is, "You need to brush up on the German names. <laughs> you need to brush up on the German names." Of and course. I reply, I'll say, "Oh, oh, thanks." I say, are, are, "Are you fluent in German?" No, but you need to brush up on them okay well i actually speak fluent german so um do, do you want to have this you want to have this conversation or, or yeah. not i'm not but sure people, more i can do than that but, but, but people, but people will still double down you know people will still double down on what they think is um the right name and and as i say what i hear more and more is uh, well in, in england we say we don't say that and i say yeah. well okay i i, I can't I can't control that as a commentator. I can only control what I do, which is, as we've said, my preparation. And part of my preparation is, uh, as far as possible, 
getting the names right. There was a, a guy, I'll tell you a story. There was a guy in Scotland that he actually had played in England for a while um, as well. Uh, he'd been at, at Brentford's. Uh, he was at Falkirk in Scotland. He came back to Scottish football to play for Dundee United. And I always made a point when I was doing games for BT Sport in Scotland of sort of patrolling the, the tunnel area. And uh, if it was a new player who uh, I hadn't met before and whose name maybe had... Um, been said wrongly or I wasn't quite sure I would always introduce myself and and ask him to say his name for me and how it should be pronounced so there was a player who um and I'll, I'll say I'll say the way that it had been said before um his name had been said before Farid El Alagui Farid El Alagui A-L-A-G-U-I Alagui and um so I, I put this to him I said I've heard this said but I it, doesn't strike me that that would be correct. And he said, no, no, he said, Farid El Alagi, El Alagi. So, so like a G-E-E sound, not Alagui. I said, yeah. thank you, Farid. I said, I will make sure that I say that on the air tonight. So I uh, did the game and he had quite a good game as it turned out. And then a few weeks later, I bumped into him again doing a Dundee United game. And he came up to me, shook my hand and said, thank you very much. He said, my father watched the game in London and um, he said, my goodness, that's the first time a commentator has actually said our name correctly. Awesome. And, and, um, and it put a big smile on my face because I thought, OK, as commentators, it's a small thing, but it's, maybe it's actually not such a small thing. It's a respect thing mm -hmm. that, um, you know, there's somebody, a player's father who's watching and he's had to listen to his family name being butchered for years. Because why? Because we agreed that that was how we were going to butcher it, you know. Mm. So I, I, I just think it comes down to respect. And yes, it is work for a commentator, but but hopefully it, it's the least we can do. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's also an, in the English media, which is only you know place I've I've worked throughout my career. But people tend to get a bit funny if you try and pronounce somebody's name properly, which is yeah. becoming more and more the case. You know, I think Sam and Jack have been brought up to do that, whereas I wasn't. I was brought up to kind of pronounce it as you would expect an English yeah. person to understand it. And if you were to try and say Jack was to go into a press conference now and, and pronounce somebody's name properly, people would snigger and yeah. they would kind of, they would be that tendency to mock if they were a bit older. Do you know what I mean? And I, hopefully that's dying out a little bit. And I think it is. Um, yeah, I think, I, I, I think it is too. And I hope it is. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why I think that. I mean, I, I I look at the younger generation and I think the younger generation in the UK is by and large more international, I think more global, I think, um, you know, not as stuck in the past. And you know, my attitude, and I was a young commentator once, my attitude was always when, you know, I got sniggers for that when, when I was, mm -hmm. you know, I remember being in Germany covering... Um, covering Dundee United back in the 80s. And I got sniggers when I, at the press conference, asked a question about Borussia Mönchengladbach and said it that way. And I remember um, one of the older journalists coming up to me later saying, aye, son, he said, he said, he said you need to speak Scottish. He said, he said, he said we're all Scottish media. He said, none of your highfalutin German stuff, you know? And, and um, uh, so, I, but I thought to myself, no, because, because I, you know, if I have a skill or if somebody has a skill, why should they not use that skill? Why should we be dumbing everything down? Yeah. And, uh, but really, when it comes to names, I do think it's, it's more just about basic respect. And, you know, if we can say an English person's name correctly, then we should say a, a Japanese person's name correctly and a Brazilian person's name correctly and so on. One yeah. that I the, the had a little struggle with was obviously the defender 
who would be called Pepe in England. Is yeah, yeah, Pep that's right. Portuguese. My, my, my girlfriend's Portuguese, so she has this with her surname, which is Araujo, which also is a weird Araujo. one in Spain, it's Araujo. Araujo, yeah, but exactly. She, we were talking about, and, you know, I was talking to her dad, and we, he was like, oh, well, Pep's playing in, in defense. And I was having this conversation because if I say Pep on a podcast, people are going to think I'm talking about Pep Guardiola. And that's right. where I've, I've struggled a little bit with the, the kind of getting it right, right to the point of, are people going to understand who I'm talking? And that's where I find it perhaps most difficult when there is crossover between getting your point across and being correct. No, our, job, our job is to communicate yeah. as well to our audience or we can't confuse our audience. <laughs> No, but I think what you've what you've hit upon there is is something different. You've hit upon a pronunciation, and you're right. I mean, in in Brazil, Pepe, in Portugal, Pep. Um, you know, but it's the same name. But um, I think that is distinct from taking somebody's name from another country and completely yeah, flipping on its head. Yeah, completely making it an English pronunciation when it's actually not pronounced that way in 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 the person's country of of origin. So, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's the same in the German world. There are there's a difference between Swiss German and um, High German from Germany, and also even in Austria, it's slightly different. And so there can be slight, you know, even the, the you know you take the city of um, of a, a club that's that's doing pretty well at the moment, although not in the Champions League against Liverpool, but but pretty well. I mean, uh, in in most of Germany, it's Leipzig. Uh, in in some parts of Germany, it's Leipzig with a, with a hard G, you know. So you can sort of work between those two. But um, yeah, I mean, with with somebody like Pep or or Pepe, then yeah, th- there is some wiggle room. But I think that's different than just sort of saying, right, throw out what he actually calls himself, and we'll just make up. Totally, totally. Got four quick fire questions to finish sure. this section off, Derek. Um, the first one, uh, this actually comes from Oscar. How do you pronounce the name of Manchester United's mercurial playmaker who plays from the number 10 position? Right. Well, um, first of all, I should explain that I've been doing his name on the video game for far longer than he's played in England. Yeah. Um, so, he, you know, he's been around, obviously, as an inter- international player. But so this really only became a question to me uh, a few months ago. Or, it would be a year ago now or more than a year ago when he when he first moved to England but in Portuguese and the way he says it himself and there was actually a clip of him saying it himself which he provided to BT Sport not so long ago so anybody can go and have a listen it's Bruno Fernandes yeah Bruno Fernandes see Jack says Fernandes um I haven't quite plucked up the courage to do it myself yet uh, but that's been obviously the centre of a lot of a lot of debate in England and I'm sure I'm sure that you get a fair bit uh, of, of flack of that for the close, the close well, sound the is quite hard as well. I mean, I've, it is. You know, you look at a Nevs or a Fernandes, and, and you're looking at all of those different ways. It's a quite. It's, it's not a natural sound for an Anglo, as you say, an Anglo speaker. It, it, it almost and Portuguese often sounds more kind of like a Romanian or, or a Serbian. The closed kind of languages that you associate with that kind of Balkan region is actually a lot more of that kind of closed mouth sound than you'd imagine in Portuguese. Whereas in Brazilian, it's a lot, a lot more kind of musical and open, right? Yeah, well, in Brazil, it's, 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 yeah, it's not for munch. It's, it's that, it's like what we said with Pep and Pepe, you know, it's, it's a slightly sort of more languid sound in, in Brazil. But um, yeah, I mean, in answer to the question, that that is one that I probably hear about almost daily on social media. Uh, from somebody and uh, you know if somebody wants to ask respectfully then I'll answer respectfully if somebody wants to wants to you know just kind of be silly and then I'll, I'll ignore but I do try to educate as well and um, as I say there is a clip of Bruno saying his own name for whatever reason um, in England nobody wanted to to call him 
what he actually calls himself and, and went for something that is, is quite different. I mean, the pronunciation that's used in England is one that would apply if he were from, you know, Argentina or Spain or Colombia, Spanish speaking country. But he's not. I mean, we had the same discussion, good heavens, for a long time about Jose Mourinho. You know, for, for years and years. And and people, I remember people without any irony saying things like, uh, you know, you're all getting it wrong. It's Jose. You know, you know that name is Jose. It's not Jose. You know, so, so where do you start with that? Uh, it, it's very difficult. Well, and, I related um, to Jose pretty heavily there because he said this in a documentary, didn't he? In his uh, in yeah. the Amazon one. He's like, everyone gets my name wrong. It's Jose. Everyone calls me Jose. And I'm like, dude, same. Everyone calls me Tiggy and Tiger and <laughs> Tiger and Tig and Thigh and all that rubbish. So uh, I, 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 I felt like I, I was one with just say at that point um, yeah. another question here from ocean sun do you have a, a specific method to memorize player names maybe maybe ones that you're finding quite difficult specifically um other than writing them out phonetically which i do i i, I have and actually for for the video game i i keep my records of a player who maybe i had some doubts about so i've got my, my files from previous years and that's all just done phonetically and, th and that's really how i uh, proceeded when i studied languages myself when I was younger was was having you know phonetics so to have them written out and it's not just the phonetics it's also the stress on the syllable yeah. so that you know the, there's a difference between whether you're you're stressing the first syllable or the last I think a lot of people who, who are not into languages don't necessarily realize that they think you can just sort of write out a name and you can stress it any which way you like mm. on any syllable um I know I we're, getting, Tiago, we're getting technical here no Tiago yeah. Alcantara is a good example here yeah because he's more right. commonly seen spoken as Alcantara Alcantara which is wrong yeah which is yeah. the wrong thing because the, the yeah. little hat i call it a hat i'm not a language guy hat yeah. over the a um, yeah that's right lewis goodwin asks do you have a, a current favorite footballer's name to pronounce um yeah well the, the one that in fact people have actually said this to me there's a, a player in germany in fact i was commentating on him quite recently uh, he didn't score sadly uh, for augsburg he's bounced around the german scene for a while and I, I i don't know people people say you always seem to have real glee in your voice when you say his name but his name is florian niederle <laughs> I, I, I think I've heard you say that before. Very and they say you always say Florian Niederlechner, as though you're really, you know, happy that he's he's doing something good. So um, yeah, he's he's Florian Niederlechner is probably one of my favourites. Yeah. And what about the hardest name to pronounce at the moment? Is there one that sticks Ooh. out? Um, there's not one that sticks out. I, I I will tell you that there have been quite a few that we uh, that we did for FIFA 21 that were. Um, multi-syllable names from uh, Arabic that, that were a little, I mean, they, they weren't impossible to do, but they needed a little bit of thought before you went into it. But I, I, I couldn't off the top of my head give you exact ones. Mm. Yeah, because you can't remember any of them because they're too difficult. <laughs> exactly. because, they're, because they're difficult. Yeah, and they're, and they're not prominent players who I'm commentating on every day. So, yeah. well, that gives us a lovely segue into FIFA, Derek. So I'm, I'm grateful. Yeah. You're, you're doing my work for me, which is nice. Sure, um, anytime. You, <laughs> you've been a, a leading voice in FIFA for, for several years now. And how did it come about? Was it? It's one of those weird ones where you, you can imagine now that this is such a, a dream mm. for so many people because FIFA is now such a set in stone angle of the of the football community in the football world but was it a no-brainer to say yes when you were offered that chance or was it ever something that you were you were kind of looking for i don't think it's something that you can ever look for because you don't necessarily expect that you'll be asked i mean there are so few jobs first of all in in professional commentating as we've discussed it's a hard field to get into but there are you know there are 
a good number of people who do the job in the English language. And there aren't that many gigs as the voice of a, an iconic video game. So it's not something you can sort of lobby for or push for. It just you know has to be that somebody likes your work and they want you to do it. And what happened was I had left the UK in 2017. My wife and I decided that we wanted to return here to the USA for a variety of family reasons and other reasons too. I, I enjoyed my time in the UK, but just felt it was a good point to, to move on and do some other things while continuing my existing projects like with the Bundesliga. And I just remember one day receiving an email from a third party and it was all a bit sort of mysterious to begin with. It was, there's real interest in you from uh, a prominent video game company. I can't see any, say anything more than that, but would you like to chat about it? It's not a mafia. So we, <laughs> well, it, it, it sort of was a bit cloak and dagger to begin with. And then it only emerged a few days later that it was the big one. It was EA Sports FIFA. And um, I went to, to meet them and uh, did an audition for them. Uh, it turns out that they had been following my work for quite some time. What people in the UK might not know is that for many years, my voice was synonymous with the Champions League around the world on ESPN. And uh, in those days, ESPN had rights to the Champions League just about everywhere outside Europe. You know, so if you imagine all of North America, Latin America, Asia, Africa, you know, huge chunk of the world um, listening to the champ, watching the Champions League and, and, uh, and listening to, to me. Um, so we'd lost the rights in 2009. And that's really what prompted me to return to the UK, first of all, with ESPN. But it turns out that when um, EA Sports came along, they had been listening to me for a long time. And one of the things that was in the pipeline was to get the Champions League rights back. And um, that, as it turned out, happened. So I was in this position where I, I was offered the, the job uh, of doing the, the Champions League side of things for the, uh, the FIFA 19, as it was, video game. Uh, but I couldn't say anything about it because the official announcement was to be made much later in 2019, around June. From memory, it was just before the World Cup, just before I was heading out to Russia to do the World Cup for Fox that year. And um, so I, I, I had to be a bit economical with the truth in terms of where I was going and what I was recording. And people would say, oh, you're spending a lot of time in a studio at the moment. What, 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 are you, what exactly are you doing? Oh, uh, it's just a little, little voice project, you know, just First album. Yeah, that's right. First album. That's right. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's a, a, a good selling one. Um, and um, so that was the first year of doing it. And I've been lucky enough now to be involved 19, 20 and 21. And it's a labor of love for me. It's something that I think um, it might not suit every commentator. Uh, and I say that because I think some people have visions of it being just a bit of a laugh that you go into a studio and sort of, you know, lark around for a while and record some things. It's actually um, a very exact procedure in terms of what we do so that the vocal part of it has to be exact and it has to match with things that I said two years ago um, that I'm maybe doing now and, and all these things put together. And it takes quite a lot of vocal discipline because you're, you're talking for, you know, several hours a day. Uh, there are long sessions with, with our producer and our sound man, the great people to work with. It's very collaborative. It's very much a team effort. And it's not enough for it just to sound as, as it might sound in a normal game. It has to sound right for the video game. And so that involves, you know, being a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to, to getting it all right. And of course, with the pronunciation of the names, as well as we've discussed. Yeah. I mean, one of our patrons, Harry, asks how long did it take to record all the FIFA commentary? But from what you just said there, it's an ongoing thing throughout the years that he just continues and they just update. Well, how do you actually 
time? Is it a prolonged week where you attack a new season or how do you deal with it? No, it, it sort of varies. We do it in little chunks and we've had to revise it a little bit. We, we had to revise it last summer uh, because of the pandemic, because normally I would go into a studio and do everything. But uh, I ended up doing most of the, the FIFA 21 game from here, from the studio that we built oh. in the house. And that was our solution. We, we said, it's just not going to happen being able to get into a studio during the time when we record, which is to a large extent, often March, April, May. Uh, obviously, that was a, a non-starter. So we, we built a small studio just on the other side of the, the wall here. And that is my my FIFA studio, and so it'll always have a, a special place in my heart. You but can no, what we tours of that place? Do you realise that? You're into <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but maybe maybe we should think of that. Um, no, so so what we we generally do is we don't do sort of one whole week at a time. We'll we'll sometimes do a couple of days in a row, maybe three, but that would be pushing it because if you can imagine, after the third day, the voice needs a bit of rest, you know, because um, you are pushing it to the limit, and especially if you're doing you know loud shouts if you're doing a lot of goals at once um you know you, you do have to rest the voice after that because uh that that is uh, you know likely to do some damage to your voice if you don't uh, you know think about it carefully because you know in, in a normal game if you have two or three goals or four or five goals that might be as many as you could expect but you know try doing um 30 goals in a row and uh and not having some uh, impact on the voice yeah i'll bet um a question for the friends and family that you have that play FIFA, and it must be weird for them for you to just be talking about their <laughs> gameplay the whole time. Do they ever come back to you and go, can you shut up? Like, I'm just trying to play FIFA oh, yeah. in, in peace, Derek. You won't leave me alone. Oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah I hear that all the time. Um, yeah, I, I hear that from close family, from, from friends. Uh, I've heard it actually a lot more during the pandemic because I think it's probably true to say, and you know, I don't have evidence of this, but I think it would stand to reason that during the pandemic, people have been playing FIFA even more than usual. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah people have been home a lot more. And so, you know, they probably are, are used to hearing me um, a lot more, which, you know, maybe is a good thing. Maybe it's not a good thing. Um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 too much of, a, of, of anything is, is can be a bad thing. But um, no, I, I do hear that from, uh, I have a young relative actually in Australia who, uh, who who reminds me of things I say and um, if I always wants me to, to play uh, against him on FIFA and I, I, I always refuse and it's because I'm a hopeless player uh, I didn't obviously grow up with video games so I'm terrible at it and um, I, I usually don't put myself out there so I, I, I let what I do actually is when I when I want to to watch how the game is being played and how the commentary is used, I, I'm, I'm far more likely, instead of playing it myself, I'm more likely to go online and find really expert players yeah. because um, that's a better reflection of, of, of how the commentary is used than my, uh, my rubbish <laughs> there's, there's something brilliant here, again, <laughs> popping into my head, where you are trying to play the game. You're doing quite poorly, and oh, yeah. you are saying... That's a poor shot. That's oh, terrible. Yes. He's got to do better. You're like, I'm in my own head. Oh, that has happened. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> um, my, my wife heard that once. She said, yeah, that's really, that's a bit surreal. You know, you, you're telling yourself off for how inept you are. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the, the point with the, the increased playing time with people in the pandemic, and yeah. like the, it's actually not happened to me during the pandemic. I've stopped playing FIFA over the last year or so, but the, the three installments before that, 17, 18, 19, and into 20, I played like a lot, like hundreds and hundreds of hours. And it's no disrespect to you, but I had to change the commentary to Spanish because you say the same things. And if you hear sure. the same thing a hundred times, it will drive you nuts, no matter what it is. But in Spanish, I don't understand it. 
Well, I th and I think I, I have seen that comment from a lot of people saying how, you know, how great this language sounds and how great that other language sounds. And I think that's true. If you don't understand the language, it, it is going to sound great. We actually get the opposite from people in other countries. I often hear things like, oh, yeah, I, I switch it from X language to English because it sounds so much better in English. And mm. it, it's, it's not that it sounds better in English. It's just a function of the fact that if you hear the same thing over again often enough, then you're going to want something slightly different. Mm. Yeah. Also, it's, it's, there's one for learning languages, right? <laughs> you learn Definitely, yeah. in, another, in another language, then, then that's increasing your oh, own sure. kind of knowledge. I got little yeah. bits. I got little bits of Spanish from I'm it. Not, like, I'm not uh, going to ask you to try, Sam. I, no, I, like, like, I, like, <laughs> like I learned, I learned like, la pelota. I learned pelota. Yeah. I, I learned about you know when you switch the the play, they use the word yeah. cambio quite a cambio, lot to switch. Yeah. Like I learned, I picked up tiny little bits here and there. Remate, golazo. Yeah, you've yeah. probably heard all those words. Oh, the goal one's great in uh, yeah. in Latin American Spanish. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's your that, next challenge, Derek. That's your next challenge. That's just one. To, that's one that goes globally, right? That doesn't matter. I mean, talking of, or well, there's a global cliche. And talking of cliches, it felt like an an unavoidable subject uh, when talking to you, Derek. It, sure. I mean, are you forever wary of of the cliche, or do you think at some points it has to be embraced? Um, I think at some point it's inevitable. I think once you overdo anything, then it's a bad thing. And uh, I'm always very, I'm really careful around goals because this is the, the interesting thing you said about the, the Spanish goal call. Much as I admire my colleagues in Spanish for being able to do that, and, and it does take a, a lot of vocal dexterity. Um, what I don't like about that is that every goal sounds the same. You know, so that every goal sounds identical mm. to the previous one. You know, that there are no words that differentiate it from another goal. And I always, and that, this is, you know, to, to stay with the subject of cliches, I like on, on goal calls that I do, I like every goal to sound unique so that the words I use on the goal are not the words I use previously. I'm talking here about general commentary, not about the video game. Because obviously, yeah, yeah, we're, on, a, we're back onto real commentaries. It's a, it's a different uh, dynamic. But um, yeah, with, with, with cliches, um, I, I, yeah. By and large, I would hope to stay away from them. Um, the one that, that, that has crept in in recent years, but it's more actually from managers and players, more managers, is we go again. We go again. We go again. I mean, I, I don't know who invented that, but I mean, it's... To me, well, it's just a statement of the obvious. Yeah, it was Liverpool, wasn't it? Yeah, was it? Yeah. When he yeah. was, it was after the the game against City, where yeah. he had the whole team, and he said, "We go to Norwich and we go again." And we I go think again. That's, I, I yes. obviously didn't spawn the phrase, but I think that's where it entered the public consciousness and yeah, became okay. a bit. I know it became. They're a in the huddle, aren't they? The they are yeah. in the yeah. huddle yeah. after yeah. the game. Yeah, yeah, I remember that now. We go again. Yeah. So uh, if we could, you know, get rid of that one, I, I'd be quite happy. Um, there are probably a few more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, are there any that you like? Any that I like? Um, I can't think of any that I that I love. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are some that I'm, there will be some that I use organically. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one that. Um, I'm trying to think of, of any of that I really... I, I think I, of I, people like Jonathan Pierce who always uses like, oh, and it's away and out of play and it'll be a throw-in on the far side. Like he always uses that same phrase, like the away yeah. and out of play. And is there anything like that that you just use in like run-of-the-mill play? It's just like, it's fine to use it here. I guess that's... Yeah, I mean, we have our... I, I think there, I think maybe there's a distinction we could make between an out-and-out -out cliche and what I call a commentator's crutch. Yeah. And I think we all have little crutch phrases that sometimes are you know unique to us that maybe we don't even know are unique to us you know one that I, I find myself saying now and again um and I don't didn't even really know I, I, I said it a lot but what I say a lot is um uh, 
making sure nothing untoward happened or let's you know and there he is tidying up making sure nothing untoward happened there you know and I'm sometimes sure I, i've heard you say that on fifa i'm sure i've said it on fifa yeah which which would be good because the, you know it is organic to me i don't yeah. know that too many other commentators say that um but yeah I, I think by and large we try to stay away from the sort of the hackneyed phrases and find words that that sum up what has actually happened rather than what in our minds may happen in the future or something like that yeah it's yeah. like me talking about Bayer Leverkusen's chaotic energy it's just, right it's, no, it's good. It's, but, to, but it's true yeah, they do, constantly just the, they, the energy of that side I mean do you keep yeah. tabs on certain phrases and kind of information to see when audiences tire of them the one that Dean and I will tell you about forever yeah. is we're both Fulham fans the Anthony Robinson Fulham left back nearly joined AC Milan I, I know uh, trust yeah, me, I, yeah. <laughs> I've never, ever heard a nugget of information recycled so many times as Anthony Robinson nearly joining Milan. Yeah. Can, I, yeah. can, I, can I tell you where that comes from? I can tell you a bit about where that comes from. Um, when it comes to commentary in the UK, um, every commentator doing a Premier League game is given a pack of information. The Grace notes it, that pack. Yeah, well, it's done by the yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, it's 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 great information by a team of really knowledgeable people. You know, and you know, Jack, you know who I'm talking about. Um, and you know, they do a fabulous job. But in those packs, you have sort of main news stories going back over a number of years. And you know, if you are preparing for a game, then that's one of the first things that will jump out is a story like that. And so, you know, it may be, maybe that a commentator is doing Fulham for the first time that season. They go, oh, that's, that's quite a good line about Robinson. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll use that, you know, not thinking that it's maybe been heard. But I, I, used, to, I used to hear that as well when I, when I was co- uh, covering Rangers. There was a player I used to, um, and actually Ian Crocker, my, my pal um, and colleague who, who does the Scottish football for Sky and has done for a number of years. There was something about Sasha Papach when he played for Rangers that apparently he he told the audience every single game and he used to just laugh about it in the end and say yeah okay maybe I'll make it a thing now I'll just automatically mention this this uh, factoid about Papach. I can't remember what it was but it was it was something that was you know important a few years ago but yeah. uh, but stayed with him. Another one that hits me a little bit harder working for Southampton is the um, <clears throat> 9-0 <clears throat> loss that Which they one? suffered. Yeah, well, well that's, the, <laughs> that's the problem. So the commentators, you know, they mentioned it pretty much every yeah. every, every week for a year. Um, and then just as they stopped, they lost 9-0 again. Again, yeah. Which was really, really irritating. But it did spawn a has the 9-0 been mentioned yet Twitter account. And they just, it's a Saints fan. They watch every game. And every time the commentator says it, he just writes the word yes and tweets it. And it's every single game. Because obviously <laughs> yeah. the fans are so sick of hearing it. Even if it's well-intentioned, even if the commentator is saying, but look how far they've come under Ralph Hasenhutl, because they were so good post-lockdown in June and July. They were the third best team in the Premier League. Look how far they've come since that 9-0. And everyone goes, oh my God, stop mentioning it, stop mentioning it. <laughs> and um, that's, that's one for me that is just, I just get so tired of it working for the club because it just reminds me of that. Um, but yeah. look, not necessarily asking you to name names here, but there must be things that maybe co-commentators you've worked with over the years maybe say uh, quite a lot that you don't really like or don't really get. And I'll throw another example for you just to, just to show you that we're all in the same boat here. I do find that there is a bit of an obsession with goalkeepers and how they should not be beaten at their near post, mm-hmm. despite the fact that the ball is hit at between sort of 70 to 90 miles an hour quite a lot of the time. <laughs> very, very difficult object to stop, even for someone who's allowed to use their hands. And yeah. I do also, I don't really like the, he's got to work the keeper line from a free kick. Because ideally, if I took a free kick, it goes straight to the top corner, goalkeeper doesn't touch it. 
that gets nowhere near it. Doesn't touch it at all. So I mean, I guess it's a, it's a phraseology thing, but like there must be like little bits like that maybe the, over the years that you've gone, eh, not sure about that one. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there, there is such a thing as kind of <clears throat> football speak, and there's also British football speak, you know, which has its own kind of um, texture to it, let's say. And, um, you know, I, I think the one that I, I used to hear a lot and, and probably still do, and it would often be applied to um, a British player, um, was and is, uh, you know, challenge comes in, red card comes out. Well, you know, I'm not really having that because he's not that kind of player. You know, he's not that kind of player. And you know, two footed someone. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's not really in his nature to do that, you know. So I think that's a bit harsh, you know. We just did this got chucked around when Neil Taylor broke Seamus Coleman's leg. And I'm I'm personally invested in Seamus Coleman and the Irish football team, but he's not that kind of player. And I was like, hang on, last year he got sent off for kicking someone in the face in a high tackle. He's had three red cards. I think he might well be that kind of player, if I'm honest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I I that that is one that I I really don't like because I think um, you know and I, I sometimes find myself being a bit more pro referee I think than a lot of commentators and I think partially that's because I've got to know quite a lot of the referees and I find them quite similar to commentators and that they go into a game doing their preparation it's different preparation and they want to get things right and they are judged by a different standard they're not judged by whether the guy is a nice guy and was a choir boy in his youth and all that kind of stuff they're judged um, by their overseers by what their reaction was to a specific incident, you know? And that's the other thing, if I could say, it's, it's going slightly off topic, but it, it maybe is somewhat related. Um, I, I, I never like it. I'm always uneasy when I hear play, ex-players talking about how referees didn't play the game and therefore they have no business being out there in the middle. It should all be ex-players. And then sometimes even saying, well, the referee can't send him off for that because to my mind, that's just wrong. When the referee has no choice um, but to adhere to what the guidelines are from his superiors. I've spoken to referees about this and they say, we don't make the rules, we apply them, the, the laws. We, we, we don't make the laws, we apply them. And mm-hmm. um, so I think that's where, listen, I have great admiration for, for COCOMs and what they do because they, they can say what I can't say, what we can't say, that they can see things, they've been in dressing rooms, they've been on the pitch in a way the rest of us haven't. And so, you know, their experience of that is, invaluable and 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 they come at it from a, a very different angle but i think sometimes um you know it's okay to to say you know I, I think you were wrong there yeah absolutely absolutely i mean we're coming towards the end of this there but i'd like to kind of move it on to moments and, and your all-time kind of things as a yeah. commentator and i mean the the obvious starting point and, and one that was posted by francisco serrano he said what is your favorite or most memorable game that you've ever commentated um, that one's quite easy, Francisco. Uh, I would take you back to 2005 when I boarded a plane from New York to Istanbul for the Champions League final between <laughs> Milan and Liverpool. You know where I'm going with this. And uh, at halftime in that game, I was broadcasting for ESPN around the world. And at halftime, I was actually feeling a little bit dejected, not because I'm a Liverpool fan, not at all. In fact, Milan were the side I really in, in, in a way idolized at that time. I thought they were the cream of the crop and just a great team to commentate on. But of course you want it to be a contest as a commentator. And I had visions of this being six or seven nil the way it was going. You know, I thought we've come all this way and we've got the most lopsided final in history and uh, people are probably switching off around the world. And then we got the greatest comeback in, in, major final history and i doubt it'll be topped i keep saying that i mean maybe it will be but i doubt in my lifetime 
uh, it'll be topped. So I just consider myself so fortunate to have been in position to put words to an occasion that um, you couldn't really fail with as a commentator. It was all there in front of you. Everything that you would ever want in a major final was right there. Liverpool's incredible comeback. And then the, the manner of the penalty shootout. I'm not a huge fan of penalty shootouts, but that was one that just had its own um, twists and turns. And of course, it had Jerzy Dudek doing his Bruce Grobelar impersonation, which luckily I, I mentioned on the air. It's one of the, the things I'm very proud of that, that I, 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 I'd watched Grobelar doing his um, you know, jelly leg thing on the line all those years ago. And I was prepared for it. And, and I actually mentioned it as I saw Dudek doing it. And it turned out he had actually watched videos of Grobelar doing that in the European Cup final against Roma, which I'd awesome. watched from a, from a tiny TV as an exchange student in Germany way back in uh, 1984. And um, so, so it's amazing how things can can, can come back to, to help you as a as a commentator from memory. But, yeah. but that it's one... amazing how it's all linked as well because I've got a football behind me signed by Bruce Grovella. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> wow. Everything's connected. Yeah. God, uh, we, won, uh, we, we won it in a raffle with a pub quiz, and it was supposed <laughs> to be signed by Matt Letizia, but he was unavailable. And that's a pretty random prize. Anyway, let's move on from that. <laughs> um, James Beamish says. Uh, is there a moment you've commented over that sticks out in your mind? A time that perhaps you could not believe the words that were coming out of your mouth, whether that be through astonishment or dismay? Um, yeah, it's funny that there, there was, um, I mean, there have be, been many times, uh, and I think all commentators do this, when I've come off the air thinking, ooh, did I, did I call that goal properly? Did I, could I have done this better? You know, you always have a bit of doubt, but usually you find when you watch it back, it's never nearly as bad as you thought it was. But there was one time, and this one has actually followed me around for some reason. There was a thing back in the 80s um, with Private Eye magazine called Coleman Balls. I don't know if they're still around, but the idea was David Coleman was the, the prominent BBC commentator of the 70s uh, into the 80s. And um, he was known for his gaffes. He was a very good pro, but he was known for, you know, saying silly things on the air. And it was a thing amongst commentators at the time that, that you didn't really want to be in this column called Coleman Balls because it would appear in every edition of Private Eye and it would have the name of the commentator and it would have the silly quote that that person um, or the words that that person uttered. And I actually made Coleman Balls once in, uh, in the late 80s. And I still see nowadays when you see little, um, you know, sort of clippings of uh, commentators, Coleman Balls, commentators, unfortunate um, sayings that, that, you know, Derek Ray from from and this is from sort of 19 actually it might be 1987 and um, there was a player for Dundee United called John Clark I was on the radio in those days and uh, he was a big tall defender and he would he would head the ball a lot and um, I remember actually saying it on the air and thinking that what I'd said made sense um, and, and I said and, and up he goes again and John Clark and it's headed away by John Clark using his head and then, you know, sort of, you know, kept, kept commentating. But obviously, and then I remember listening back to it um, by chance and hearing that and thinking, oh, if somebody was on top of it, that, that might end up in Coleman Balls. And it did. And it did. I mean, it's not the, not the most egregious thing you could say, but, you know, obviously, if you're heading it, then it's presumably with your head and not with your back or your, you know, your left foot or something like that. And, and you'll still, see, you'll, you know, you'll see that online from time to time when people, send um, lists of commentators gaffes headed away by John Clark using his head. 
you'd be, you would be surprised if it was uh, if he used another body part. But Indeed, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, one from Zach here, um, and it's more about stadiums actually in settings. Oh, yeah. what, what is the, the scariest stadium that you've commentated in? Um, scariest stadium. Well, I'll tell you what the scariest kind of situation was, uh, and this wasn't necessarily because the stadium itself is frightening. In fact, it's my favourite stadium to commentate from in the world, the um, Zignali Duna Park Westfalenstadion in Dortmund. And um, the reason why it was scary was I happened to be there um, for BT Sport on the night, you might remember, when they were due to play Monaco, yeah. but then there was an incident uh, with regard to the Dortmund bus as it was yeah. leaving its hotel. And... Um, Nobody really knew what was going on. And, you know, I think at that moment you felt a little, I felt a little bit vulnerable. I'm, I'm sitting reporting from the stadium, not knowing, you know, what is going on. Is this a terrorist incident? What is it? What exactly is this? And, you know, in retrospect, there was no danger to the stadium, but that was a little bit frightening. You know, the, the stadium eventually ha having to be evacuated. I remember just sort of walking outside and still moving a bit gingerly and thinking, yeah, you know, this puts it all into perspective. But the scariest in terms of, um, atmosphere the the the, the most um, out there i would say would be la bombonera in buenos aires which uh, i had the privilege of, of visiting for a game uh, in 2005 and i was there because it's a long story but australia were um, going to take on uruguay over two legs uh, in a world cup playoff which i was covering and ah, yes, that, one, they that, went... I, that that game always feels so unfair the um the, the the conference playoff there between basically Australia yeah. and whoever drops out into sixth place or fifth place of the Condor Yeah, ball. very unfair. I mean, it, it really, and that's why they, they eventually moved to yeah. um, to Asia from from the uh, confederation from Oceania. But um, they were training in Argentina, and it so happened when I was there covering it, uh, Boca were at home, and um, I said, well, I have to I have to go to La Bombonera. You know, this is something special and it was you know and and it had a, a vibe about it that's kind of unlike anything that i've seen in europe i mean the, the other one that would be close to it would be um the shukru saracholu stadium in uh turkey on the asian side of the bosphorus that's fenerbahce stadium for a fenerbahce Galatasaray game and that was pretty crazy as well so yeah th those two i mean incredible experiences but but definitely with an edge to the whole thing you could write a good book, Derek. Maybe someday. Maybe. <laughs> I, say, I, I can't believe that's not in the, in the works in some shape or form. Um, yeah, right. Royce um, says, if you couldn't commentate on football, is there another sport you would go for? Also, have you ever considered narrating for National Geographic? Go the Attenborough route. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I don't know if, if, if National Geographic would have me. I, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know that I'm Attenborough standard, or certainly not in terms of knowledge. Um, great uh, respect for him. You do the research, but though, Derek. And that's the I would key, do the, right? you, you, could, you could definitely um, say I would do the research. Um, on um, another sport, well, I've done American football, um, yeah. which, again, is not something I ever thought I would get the chance to do, but that was a fabulous experience and try to put my own slant on that. Um, is there another sport? The one that I really always, and this is maybe going to sound a little bit strange, the one that I really always wanted to do um, years ago was golf, but I never really pushed it mm. and, and never had the chance. And a few people said to me, you know, you might be quite good at golf. And I never really knew why, because um, if you think about it, the, the tone 
you know, the hushed tone of golf is, is, is a little bit different than the, um, the yeah. sort of the more up-tempo football sound. But it's building but, the narrative and the storyline, isn't it, as well? It is. Yeah, you, you do it with golf. I think that's the one thing that's always appealed to me is you have so much time to build that narrative. You know, you've got hours and hours and you've got this, there's something very serene and peaceful about, about the sound of a, of a golf course, even when it's a major championship. You know, you have the, the applause and then you have it dying down and then it's just deathly quiet so um, I think my, my days of, of uh, aspiring to do that have gone but but that's the other sport that I thought um, I, I might like to have a crack at actually Derek we could probably throw you a bit of a bone here because when the restrictions lift the mm. three of us are planning to do some ranks FC golf days because I just got I just got <laughs> ah. involved in the sport I'm just learning how to play and if you would like you are welcome to come and commentate on I our mean, yeah this ain't <laughs> what, what he had in mind right this isn't what he had in mind we'll start somewhere no, but you know, you know what I might even do? I might give you a two for one on that because um, uh, if you were ever to, to witness, uh, I mentioned Ian Dark earlier, who's, who's probably my best pal in the, in the commentating business. Um, uh, if you were ever to witness our golf matches, um, uh, Ian has been known, and I usually join in as well, if it's a tight match, as it usually is around the 17th, Ian has been known to say things like, well, the cameras are closing in now. They, they just, they, they just <laughs> can't resist this uh, tight match here. Who's going to, you know, so, so maybe, maybe we'll both do it. Maybe we'll that's do it fun. together. That is fun. Oh, that is good. I bet that's really annoying as you're sizing up the putt, a putt for par. Um, we have fun that. with it. We enjoy okay, it. one question here, which is a little bit more serious than commentating on our golf days, which is from TJ Fogarty. He wants to know how you think commentary has evolved over the last 10 years and, and to add to it where you think it might be going. And just not to steer you necessarily, but obviously we've seen an increased number of female broadcasters entering yep. the sport. And we've also seen alternative commentary streams mm -hmm. like Hot Mike, which yeah. Jack and I have partaken in a little bit, not to put you on dabble, notice or anything, dabble. you know, we're not, we're not after your job per se, but we are coming for you. Um, what, no, what, vi what viability do you think, uh, do you think those kind of things have? Well, I, I can say that having been part of this a little bit with, with Amazon, as I say, when, when I was asked to do the NFL, it was not as the definitive commentary broadcast or broadcast commentary for Thursday night football. It was as a, a, a secondary stream, you know? And so I think we are moving more and more towards that. I think that in time, broadcasters will look to give fans a choice, you know? So you may want to hear... Uh, you know, for example, if, um, you know, it, it already has happened with, say, um, ITV, if England plays Scotland, you know, in Scotland, you get a Scottish commentary for the most part. In, in England, you'll get the English-based broadcasters. And maybe you'll see more and more of that. Maybe it'll become a home and away type situation where yeah. if you're a Southampton fan, you're getting commentators who are maybe not biased in favor of Southampton, but are... Um, sort of emphasizing Southampton issues more. That actually happens here in the States with just about every sport. Yeah, I was going to um, say, especially the basketball, you get, yeah. you get the Celtic stream and whoever they're playing stream. That's right. And it can right sound one. quite different from one. Yeah. yeah, you can choose whichever one you, you want. So, so I think that um, is one change. You mentioned, you know, women in the media. I've had the pleasure of working with some fantastic women co-commentators, both in the UK and here in the USA. I mean, to name some names, Lucy Ward, who I know has been receiving rave reviews for her recent performances on, on network TV. And I know Lucy well, and, and she's a terrific broadcaster, very knowledgeable. Sue Smith is another one who I've worked with in, in the UK uh, last year on 
uh, on Prime, some of their games. Uh, and here in the U.S., I did the World Cup in 2018 with Ali Wagner, who is one of the biggest names amongst U.S. women's national team players. And my goodness, Ali did more homework than any co-commentator I have ever worked with, full stop. I mean, wow. really, to the nth degree, day in, day out. And, um, um, you know, I think her, her work spoke for itself. Danielle Slayton, another one. And uh, so I think you, you will see more and more of that. And I think we should, you know, to be honest, I, I think it's... Um, you know, it, it's the game of football that we all love. And it's not just men who love the game of football. And it's not just men who know about the game of football. So I think that is is coming more and more. Uh, I think you will see more women doing my job, you know, do, doing the, the job of the, the lead commentator as well. Um, we, we've seen that in places. And um, in fact, a, a good story is Germany has been a bit ahead of the game on this. There's a woman called Zabine Tupperwein, uh, who is just actually retiring after about 30 years as probably the main radio voice of the Bundesliga in the northwestern part of, of Germany, mm. in places like Dortmund and Schalke. And she's retiring after, after a, a great um, spell in, well, in charge of, but also as, the, as the, the lead commentator. So I think more and more of that. Um, the, the areas where I think we have to be a bit careful, and this is just a personal opinion, are... Once it becomes co-commentary with occasional commentary, then I think we're on the wrong path. So what I'm really saying is that when I started, the co-commentator would come in every 10 minutes, you know, would barely be there at all and wouldn't say very much. It's kind of gradually got to the point where commentator finishes a sentence and sometimes the co-commentator comes in and back and forth. And I, I, I'm not really a believer on that on TV, I, maybe on radio more, but on TV, I think that silence is still golden. And I think sometimes less is more. And it's the one thing I think we need to be a bit careful about, and I include myself in this, broadcasting games in the pandemic, where we don't have the organic crowd sounds, you know, we have the shouts of the players. I think there's a tendency for all of us to talk more than we did, thinking that we have to cover up um, the, the lack of this soundtrack that we all took for granted. And I hope that, you know, when fans come back, and we don't know when that's going to be, but when fans come back and we have the atmosphere that we used to have, I hope we bear in mind that we used to do it that way. And sometimes we would go 10 or 15 seconds saying nothing. Uh, and we don't need to fill every little blank. Yeah, I think I think also just the co-commentator, the the beauty of the co-commentator is they're there to sort of add elements to the to it that you're not really seeing. So they need yes. to be able to process and analyze. And for that, I'd say it's arguable they probably need two or three minutes of not really talking. They just yep. need to be able to watch to identify patterns and things to pick out. And if they have to chime in every every at the end of every sentence, they don't really have time to do the analysis part, which is their actual kind of role in the tandem. Um, Jack and I have given commentary a little bit of a go mm, on yeah. hot on hot mic, and we found it quite difficult to analyze while we were talking for obvious reasons. And because we're on like kind of radio-ish, you know, we can't really let it go silent. Um, so we did all sorts of different things. We took questions. We we made it more of like a bit of a community feel with with the yeah. rank squad, which was which was great. But yeah, Jack, you know, 20 minutes in, me and Jack going back and forth, back and forth, he turned around and goes, so Sam, what patterns are you seeing? And I'm like, I don't even know. I wasn't, the game, right? I wasn't even here. watching. I don't know what happened in the last five minutes. Who are we watching? Gladbach? I don't know. <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I think that's right. It, it does take a certain skill to be able to process, to be able to speak at the same time. Um, the other thing, and, and I'm curious about this, and, and we're doing more and more of this on the Bundesliga. I think maybe more than is being done in England at the moment. Um, analytics are becoming more and more part of the 
in-game analysis. For example, on the Bundesliga now, we have graphics that we show and it, it's kind of, you know, they're being built sort of with each passing week. But you will see, for example, average positions at certain points, you know, mm -hmm. so that, you know, 15 minutes into the game, you can say, well, you know, here's Dortmund. They're really high. Look how high he is. Look how high Sancho is right on top of his opponent. And in contrast, here's Kern and look how deep sitting they are. And it just gives you that sort of perspective. The other one that we're using a lot, which I actually find very interesting, is um, dividing the attack into four. And they, again, they do this in Germany, but um, I don't think in, in British football this is quite part of the, the parlance that they, they talk about the half spaces. Mm -hmm. So you basically think of it as wide left, inside left, inside right, and wide right. And so that if there is a, a big disparity between, say, a team is really using the, the right-hand channel a lot. It happened actually in the Bayern game I did recently, where Bayern were um, twice as likely to be attacking down the right-hand side where Leroy Zane was was playing um, as they were on the left where Eric Choupo-Moting was, was lined up. So it, it's just a little kind of um, pointer. And I think I don't know. Um, younger people seem to be more au fait with that. Again, it's the older generation that is more likely to say, nah, we don't need any of that. In fact, I read an article today somewhere saying, you know, forget all these analytics. It's just about who wins and who loses. And okay. um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I think that my view is that's, that's um, not correct because I think we should be more reflective of what actually happens in a dressing room. And if you go into a dressing room now, certainly I know this in Germany, um, the, the analyst from the team comes down with his laptop and immediately is showing the coach certain things. And they're actually playing back incidents to players a lot of the time at halftime and they're sharing data. So if that's happening in a dressing room, wouldn't fans want to know a bit more about that? I, I think so. Yeah, I think that's that's about spot on. They do this brilliantly in La Liga as well. Obviously, they run their own TV channel, which yeah. is which means that they can kind of play around with it a little more. And and the kind of spinning cameras and allowing you to see, you know, the the whole thing is now projected onto the pitch, which makes it yeah. like quite a, an immersive viewing experience. And I think it's a nice a nice touch in terms of of where it's gone. I'm conscious that we I'm conscious of your time, Derek. So I'm just gonna just gonna roll okay. us into our last bit. And and some of these questions are a little bit bizarre, but we have three sort of random extras that we have. And the first is from Ibrahim, who says, how good is your heading? Because every time I take a header in FIFA, <laughs> you say he should do better. So I'm just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> My heading is probably terrible because I haven't headed a ball in a very long time. And when I did head the ball, um, it used to be, you know, a much bigger leather ball that could, <laughs> um, you know, could, 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 uh, carry water and and you have to be very careful when you were actually heading it so um yeah no the answer to that is uh, not very good not very good uh, header so just yeah, to be I've... clear derek just to be clear did you head the ball with your head or was it with a different body part <laughs> always with the always with the back or the thigh <laughs> uh corey says i just want to hear the beautiful crispness to the way he pronounces joshua kimmick ah okay well that that is one of my favorite names as well and um uh, again, his first name is is a slightly unusual pronunciation. Even to Germans, they don't necessarily expect it would be pronounced this way. But it is Joshua Kimmich. Joshua Kimmich. Lovely. It's all it are all J's and sorry, yeah, all J's and German soft. Like is uh, it Julian yeah. Brandt? Uh, Julian Brandt, yeah, and Julian Nagelsmann, Julian Brandt. Uh, again, I I always dread when one of these players ends up in England because because Julian will become will become Julian. Julian. Yeah, there's no doubt. Joshua <laughs> Kimmich is Joshua Kimmich. There you go. <laughs> Once yeah, he gets go. over it, well, the, the one he that you never come to England anyway. But then. and the one <laughs> yeah. that the one that used to trip us all up, of course. Um, I'm not going to be able to say this properly, but he was he was 
he's French, uh, but it was it was Gilles Vogui or, or Gilles Vogui. Yeah, yeah, but his his but his name was not Joshua. The U oh. and the H were the wrong not wrong way round. That's the oh, terrible thing to say about someone's name. Were the other way round. Yeah. So it was like Josuha or something or Josuha. Josua Gilavogi. I mean. Of Wolfsburg, yeah. yeah Fulham tried to sign him, I remember, a couple, a couple yeah. of years back, and I was like, well, I really don't want to see that being butchered on the Hammersmith end. That's, uh, <laughs> that's one that I could probably do without. I was like, reasonably quietly pleased that we didn't make that signing, good a player as he was. Uh, f- final question then, Derek, and this yeah. is from Andrew Murgatroyd, who asks for your current three hottest prospects in the Bundesliga. So for once, at some point Ooh. in this interview, we talk about... We've done a ranking. Your expertise <laughs> in football, what you're actually seeing rather than the art of it. But who are you liking? Well, I mean, do we want to mention players who are already kind of sort of getting first team games? Is that what we're looking at? Or, yeah, I um, think that's yeah. fine, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the ones who stand out... and. This won't be any great mystery. I mean, Jamal Musiala uh, of Bayern, you know, who um, has chosen Germany over England. Sorry, lads. Um, yeah. 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 Um, it was, yeah. Well, I think he, yeah, he, he'd been thinking about it for a while. Sens- and... Very sensible decision from Jamal, <laughs> if I'm being perfectly honest. Prob- yeah. Probably. Probably. Jack's yeah. Irish. He would say that. Oh, I, would, I would say that. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> no, but, but he, he is, um, he's the real deal. And uh, oh. I think, you know, Hansi Flick knows that and he'll be part of the Germany setup come March. I would also mention Florian Wirtz of Leverkusen, who's another one who's just emerged in the last year. And, you know, people sort of compare him with Kai Havertz for obvious reasons, because, you know, he's come through the the Leverkusen ranks, even though he was actually at Köln um, before Leverkusen nabbed him, if you like. Uh, But he's, um, again, just a really fluent player and and has got the lot. And and I think we'll go on to really special things and, and I think we'll be talking about him for a long time to come and as for a third who am I going to give my vote to in terms of a third player um, I'll go non-German for the third and and I really do think that he's had you know a little bit of a setback in terms of his form in the last few weeks but that can happen with a young player I think Gio Reyna is somebody we're going to be talking about for a long time to come at a high level of the game wherever he chooses to play and you know who knows if he'll be at Dortmund next season, I hope he will be. But um, he learned well from his father and his mother, by the way. His mother, Danielle, was also a really good footballer, in addition to his dad, uh, Claudio, who uh, people in England might remember as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Geo's partnership with Erling Haaland for a yeah. stretch, just before Sancho came back into form, because it's now a bit like Haaland-Sancho. But before that, when Sancho was dropping out, the, the Reina-Haaland partnership looked like it was really, really growing into something special. Yeah, it's just it's just sort of dipped a little bit that, and and he's dipped a little bit. But um, that, that's always going to happen with young players. It happened with with Havertz. I remember at Leverkusen as well, um, just for a spell. But uh, yeah, it's um, it, it's one of the great things about the Bundesliga. We do get to see young players given a chance at a young age, and uh, as I say, it's up to them how they use that platform. Oh, I need to check one actually. I need to check something. I was going to say before we go. <laughs> yeah, I've got a favourite player, and I'm go not on. sure if I'm saying his name right. Silas Wamangi Tuka. Yeah, very good. Perfect. Silas Wamangi Tuka. Yeah, oh, perfect. Fantastic. Perfect pronunciation. Absolutely what a player. 100%. Yeah, what isn't a player. he? Isn't he? And, and by the way, he's one I would predict, sadly, will not be in the Bundesliga next. Well, at least he won't be at Stuttgart next season. Yeah, he, he might be at Stuttgart much longer. He might, he might be at another Bundesliga. Well, club, we, we, we threw around the idea maybe Dortmund, if Sancho goes, maybe, maybe you throw in yep. 
that that to that equation. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see how well he does. Well, I'm glad. I'm very surprised and glad that I've been getting that right. There's <laughs> well, well, a first team. for everything, DJ. A first <laughs> ten, for everything. ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. <laughs> well, Derek, well, all I can say is thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, a masterclass in not only commentary but podcasting uh, today. So, uh, so I mean, on behalf of everybody who's listening and on behalf of the three of us, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. No, thank you, Jack, Sam, and Dean as well. It's been great fun for me. And um, yeah, more power to the, the three of you. And on we go. Just not we go again. <laughs> just, not, just not that. Yeah, definitely. If, if ever you catch me saying that, then please contact me. <laughs> thank you so much, Derek. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, guys. Take care. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Hey, podcaster. Meet Acast. We're the top independent podcast network for creators in the know. We empower you to develop your podcast idea, find your audience, and grow listener relationships wherever those listeners are. You'll also find a whole range of ways to make money, from membership plans for paying fans to our fully curated and creative advertising experience. Visit acast.com slash network to find out more. Acast, for the stories. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly.